0: Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Carolyn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. This podcast is sponsored by Llama Naturals. I learned about Llama Naturals a few months ago, and I honestly wish someone had told me about them sooner. I always recommend that people get their vitamins from whole food sources, not synthetics, but I could never find a good option for my kids until I found Lama Naturals. They have a full line of delicious gummies that are made with real fruit, no added sugar or sweeteners, plus vitamins from whole foods. They are USDA organic, vegan, gluten-free, and allergen-free. Plus, they are seriously delicious. You can save 20% off your first order by going to Llamanaturals.com and using the coupon code JUST, J-U-S-T. My whole family loves them, but if you have a picky eater, they offer a money-back guarantee. Seriously, you should at least go to their site and compare their label against any other gummy brand out there. They are the best I've found. Again, it's Lamanaturals.com. Dr. Katie Woodley is the proud owner and holistic vet of The Natural Pet Doctor. After watching her own husband develop an autoimmune disease and be told there was nothing they could do other than strong immunosuppressive medications, Dr. Katie went down the path of holistic medicine. Becoming certified in acupuncture, Chinese food therapy, and Chinese herbal medicine changed everything. She started the Natural Pet Doctor to provide pet parents with more resources for natural medicine advice and care so they had all of the options. Her mission is to ensure that all pet parents have access to herbal medicine, supplementation and nutritional advice throughout their pet's lifetime that helps them thrive rather than just survive. Dr. Katie offers telehealth consultations to pet parents across the world, along with online education through her online programs, YouTube channel, Facebook and Instagram. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today, I'm really excited to talk to Dr. Katie Woodley. She, like the bio said, is a holistic vet, and I have never talked to anyone on the show about pets and their health, and so I'm really excited to talk to you today. So thank you for being here.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Carolyn, for having me.
0: Will you tell my listeners just a little bit more about yourself, your background, and how you became a holistic vet?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, my path actually started on the human health side. Um, I went to vet school. I'm actually from Colorado originally, and I went to vet school in New Zealand. And so, it was accredited. So, it was like going to like Colorado State University vet school, but it was in New Zealand. So, it was pretty neat. And I met a New Zealander there, and we ended up getting married and finished vet school, worked there for a couple of years. We moved back to the States about two years after finishing vet school. And six months in, he developed an autoimmune disease and that was crushing, soul crushing. And I will never forget sitting on the other side of the doctor and the doctor's desk, right? And we're getting this diagnosis and we're being told there's nothing else you can do other than these strong immunosuppressive medications. And guess what? They might have some side effects and unfortunately one of them can be death, but there's no other option. So we just have to try this because that's all we can do. And I was like, wait a second, this isn't good. We left feeling hopeless. I was in tears. I was like, we have to find another way. And so we started researching and we came across essential oils. We came across holistic medicine and this entire different way of looking at the body and how to heal it rather than just symptomatic care. And so through that journey, here I am, conventional veterinarian, and I, I'm i on the other side of the table telling my clients that there's nothing more we can do for their pets when we get chronic illnesses like cancer and autoimmune disease and chronic allergies and the meds aren't working. And I was like, I can do so much better. And so I became acupuncture certified, I became Chinese herbal medicine certified, food therapy certified, using more essential oils, learning more about that Western herbs, supplements, and it completely changed my life. And so because of my husband getting sick, it was actually a blessing in disguise. And it's completely changed the way we approach health, my pet's health, my patient's health. And because of that, I left the conventional setting a few years ago and started my own business, The Natural Pet Doctor, where I can focus solely on how can we implement and empower pet parents to be able to implement this type of lifestyle and holistic life into their pet's lives to help them live longer. Oh, that is so
0: interesting. So many guests that come on here have had a trial like you guys did and then have turn that into a positive thing to educate others. And I just love that. So thank you for doing that. But I'm really interested about this whole holistic vet thing, because it's not a common thing that you hear about at all. And so maybe tell my listeners, what is a holistic vet? And how does that differ from a conventional vet?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And so for people who aren't familiar with the holistic realm, um, cause I know you get probably quite a wide variety of people in your audience coming and wanting to learn more. And most veterinarians were trained conventional medicine. So that's gonna be like your Western medicine where we learn about diseases, we learn about symptoms. That's where we learn to give a drug to treat a symptom. And it can work really well for emergency situations. There's always a time and a place for conventional medicine. However, it has a lot of limitations in terms of treating and healing the body. And so this is where holistic medicine is looking at the whole body. So I always say holistic with a W, right? We're looking at how everything is interconnected and working together. So this can encompass things like nutrition. It can encompass acupuncture, energy medicine, chiropractic care, chinese herbal medicine, western herbs, essential oils. And the difference between this is that we are now looking at the root cause. We're not just treating symptoms. And when we shift the way we look at the body and how everything including environment, emotions are all interconnected, we get a very different response versus treating a symptom. And so I consider myself a holistic vet. However, I guess a better term would be integrative because I have all the conventional knowledge. I have the science. I can. I know the drugs. I know the, the diseases. I know what diagnostic tests. So I can integrate that information in with the care that I give to my patients and then use that holistic approach to be able to look at the body as a whole in the environment and fix the actual problem or prevent it from becoming a problem in the first place.
0: So interesting. So when you say patients, you're talking cats, dogs, horses, cows. Do you practice this for all the types of animals?
1: So it can be used for all animals. My specialties include dogs and cats. Okay. So, but you can use it on any, any animals. I have colleagues that are using it on birds. They're using it on amphibians they, you can do acupuncture on snakes. Like it's really neat. So the world is ours. We can use animals respond really, really well to a holistic approach.
0: So you were talking about that you learned acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine and all of these things and chiropractic care. So you apply all of these things to the animals.
1: Yeah. So the thing is, is each pet is different, right? And this is like people, we're all individuals. And so that pet, may need something different from, say, like my pets, I have three, three black cats, they may be different from the needs of your pet or from your friends pets. Because once again, the environment's different. What food are they on? What are their stress levels? what was their background and also too, especially with like acupuncture for specifically cats, cats can respond really well, but if they get more stressed having acupuncture sessions, that's where we have to assess that pet and look at, oh, okay, this modality is probably not the best for them. Let's use Chinese herbs instead, or let's use food therapy or let's use essential oils. And we can use a combination of therapies, depending on what that is gonna work best for that individual pet. So I
0: have a dog, but I've only had a dog for a year. This is my first pet. So I am so new into the pet world. And you saying all of this stuff, I'm like, I had no idea you could do acupuncture and chiropractic care and and energy work and things on animals. It makes complete sense, but I just hadn't thought of that. So that's so fascinating. But now I actually want to talk to you because you talked about food therapy. I want to talk about nutrition. So is nutrition important for our pets, like as much as it is for humans?
1: Yes, a hundred percent. So food is medicine. Hippocrates thousands of years got it right. Food is medicine. And unfortunately our pets are getting the short end of the stick with nutrition. So it comes back to what are we taught in vet school? We're taught to feed ultra processed foods. So if we think about what are most pets being fed, right? They're being fed kibble diets, dry food. And I always liken it to imagine taking your child to the pediatrician and you're asking them, what is the best food to feed them for their life? And they plop down a box of Cheerios and they go, it's nutritionally balanced. You can feed this for every single meal for the rest of your kid's life. And what would you do? You'd be like, oh my goodness, that's ridiculous, right? Why would I do that? However, we've been trained And it's been ingrained in so many of us, vets and pet parents, that that's the way forward. And unfortunately, it's a very easy way forward. And the way the pet food industry came around is that it was actually developed as a marketing thing to make money. It wasn't developed by doctors to better and improve the health of our pets. It was actually an electrician watching sailors come to shore. And they were feeding stale biscuits to the dogs on the wharf. And he went, wait a second. I can make a business out of this and make money. And that's how it actually started. And so this is where Nabisco, so your your dog biscuit company. And then we went through the war and so it turned into, there was canned food, but then there was a limitation on the steel for the cans, the aluminum, because of the war. So then they went, how else can we do this? And they started making dog biscuits. So that's your dry kibble. Now here's the thing, and so many people don't realize this, just like in human health, 70 to 80% of the immune system is in the gut. We also have this amazing thing called the microbiome. So there's trillions of different types of bacteria, protozoa, cells that make up this unique ecosystem that when they're working together, they're digesting food. So it's helping you to absorb vitamins, nutrients, minerals, It's helping to produce hormones. So 90% of serotonin is actually made in your dog's and your cat's gut. Very important, right? For regulating emotions and the nervous system. Also, it's helping to reduce inflammation. And so when things are off because of food or toxins they're being exposed to, then we have bad bacteria outnumbering the good. Now they're producing inflammatory chemicals and it's creating inflammation in the gut lining that inflammation is getting out in the body. Now it's causing things like skin disease, allergies, ear infections, emotional health problems. And so what happens then is that from the conventional side is we go, oh my gosh, we need to put this dog who's anxious on drugs. We need to medicate them. Or these dogs and cats that have allergies and chronic ear infections, they go on a medication to treat that symptom And the root cause, which was the gut health issue because of a poor quality diet that's not species appropriate, was completely missed. And that's where you get stuck in that vicious cycle of going back and forth to the vet clinic for the same problem, you're spending all this money, it's the symptoms keep returning because we miss the actual problem. And so it all, a lot of it comes back down to the nutrition we're feeding our dogs and our cats. And we have it all wrong because we're feeding ultra processed foods.
0: Everything you said, you could be talking about a human because it's it's gut health. It's you saying 70 to 80% of their immune system is housed in the gut and the serotonin is created in the gut. That's the exact same for a human. So they're very similar.
1: They are. Here's a key difference though. And this is where, so a lot of listeners thinking this might be like, oh my gosh, well, why would I continue to feed this ultra processed food? Let's talk a little bit about why the food by itself is not a species appropriate diet, because that's a really important element to nutrition for our dogs and cats. So our dogs and our cats, and this is where, so it sounds very similar to humans. Humans are omnivores. We eat and eat meat, we can digest you know, uh, carbs, our starches, our vegetable matter, and our dogs and cats actually have zero physiological requirement for carbohydrates. They don't need vegetables, we're gonna oh, talk, talk a little bit about that. Okay. We use vegetables differently for phytonutrients and antioxidants and feeding the microbiome. But physically, they actually don't need carbs. They can survive off of your proteins, your fats. And this is where your processed foods, your kibble, is gonna be over 60% carbohydrate. And so what's happening is, is we're feeding these animals an inappropriate diet, especially cats. Cats are obligate carnivores. Uh, When you think about what is their diet in the wild, right? Your cats, if they go outside, they're catching mice, they're catching bunny rabbits, they're eating birds. They're not eating a bag of like potato chips, right? And our dogs have evolved a little bit more with us where they have a few more digestive enzymes to help break down some of those starches. So things like amylase to help break that down so they can get a little bit more starches and be okay with it, but they thrive when they're on a higher protein diet. The other problem with the way the pet food is processed is that it's cooked at really high heat temperatures. So typically over 200 degrees Celsius. So if you think about like, if you were to cook yourself a steak and you put it on the grill and you like burn it, right? Mm-hmm. Like you'd be like, Oh, I don't want to eat that. Like crust, that black crust, right? That's carcinogenic that has car- things that can cause cancer, right? They increase inflammation in the body. So that's exactly what's happening to our pet food. So it's being cooked at such high heat temperatures. It's actually forming byproducts and other chemicals. We can't see they're not on the ingredient list. So they're specifically called like advanced glycation end product. These are known carcinogens. So what they do is they increase the level of chronic inflammation in the body. And over time, if we don't reduce that or get rid of it and remove it, of course, things are gonna go wrong, right? We see chronic illnesses, we see autoimmune disease, we see cancer. And so that's a huge issue with a lot of these ultra processed food diets. So not only is it not species appropriate because of the macronutrient ratios, but it also has these other chemicals that are increasing the level of inflammation in our pet's body over time. So like little doses of poison, right? Each meal, and it doesn't cause an issue, it may not cause an issue right away, But if we're doing something every single day, every single meal, that's where the cumulative effect over time can lead to health problems down the road.
0: Again, everything you're saying could apply to humans as well with packaged food. But I want to ask you about what to feed a pet then, or especially like a dog or a cat. I have to tell you, our very first vet visit, I said to the vet, Um, what food do you recommend? Like, what do you suggest for my dog? And he was like, ah, they're all the same. Just pick whatever you want off the shelf. And I was like, oh, wow. He and I are, (laughs) we're not going to get along. It's time for a new vet. So I found a new vet. So uh, just like choosing a doctor, you have to choose a vet that fits for you. But let's go back to the food. So what should people look for when buying pet food? Because those shelves are full of, you've got your dry, you've got canned, you've got liquid. It's overwhelming. I, mm-hmm. I didn't even know what to buy. So what do you suggest?
1: Yep. It is super overwhelming. And as you start like getting into this realm, it becomes really overwhelming and confusing because there's a lot of information out there. And keep in mind too, most veterinarians, we're not trained on nutrition. We're trained to feed the big brands that you see in the vet clinics or like, you know, just do this. It's balanced, right? It's nutritionally balanced. That's what a lot of them say. And there's a fear that if they recommend something like a home cooked diet or a raw food diet or a less processed diet, that it's going to be unbalanced and it's going to create harm. So they go with what they know. And that's the same with human doctors too. Right. And so when we look at different types of foods, I would look at how are they processed, right? Ultra processed is going to be your kibbles, your dry foods. So the majority of the kibble, the bags of food that you see in the vet clinics, in the pet food stores, those are going to be ultra processed. So those are going to have be cooked at high heat temperatures. Unfortunately too, they're sitting there for a long time. One of the things that pet food companies will do to make it tasty because no dog or cat will eat it right off the assembly line. Cause it tastes like cardboard is they'll actually spray it with fat. So oh, they will fat and spray it on there. So a lot of times you'll feel like the oiliness, especially in some of the lower quality kibbles, or you smell it, right? You open the bag up and you're like, Ooh, that's rancid fat. So that oxidizes over time. And so that's another chemical, right? And so huge problems with kibble. So I never want to shame pet parents for if they have to feed kibble and we'll go through some of the things to like increase the nutrient content of the kibble. If you had to feed that, but if you can get to some of these less processed foods, they'll be better for your pet, for both dogs and cats. So next down would be so we have our really high heat processed kibbles. There's some companies that are doing lower heat processing. So Lotus is a company currently that can change. So always research whenever you have listen. You know if you're listening in at a later date, um, always check those companies because they can be bought out or changed or they might go away. But Looking, it'll say like baked on it. So it's not cooked as high, still processed. And then we have things like our canned food. So that's going to have an increased moisture content. So it's less dehydrating. So for cats specifically, kibble is like the worst food we can feed them. They're already prone to kidney disease over time. Um, and it's super dehydrating, it's high in carbs, it's creating inflammation, insulin resistance. So especially if you can get your cat onto at least a canned food diet that has more moisture, that will be better, less processed. And then we have things like freeze dried. So these are going to be like raw food diets that are essentially like dehydrated and they're maintaining more of their nutrients, the way that they're processed, So that would be kind of the next step down. And then we have pre-made, lightly cooked foods. So there's a lot of brands out there now. Um, Also dehydrated. So Honest Kitchen is a great option. Um, Dr. Harvey's is a great one where you cook the meat and you have a pre-mix that has the vitamins and minerals and nutrients where you can just add that into the diet. And then at the very bottom, the, the least processed food, that's going to be the most species appropriate diets are going to be your raw food diets. These are the scariest and the most controversial of all of them. And they can scare a lot of pet parents if they're not familiar, or if you have a vet that's telling you like, you're going to harm yourself or your pet with like E. coli and salmonella poisoning and all of those things. But your raw food diet, So it's in the form that they would be eating, that they're actually built to eat based on their physiology in the wild, right? They're not wild, we've domesticated animals, but they've maintained the the lower stomach acid. They have short GI tracts. So that things pass through really quickly. So they're not prone like we are to getting salmonella or E. coli poisoning. This is why a dog can bury a bone in the backyard. And then like a week later, you're like, where did he find that? Like, oh my God, that's so gross, right? And they don't get sick. And it's because their bodies are made to handle that. This is why they have different dental structure. Their teeth are made for like shearing off muscle for crunching bones. And then they process it really quickly. So Your raw food diets are ideal if your pet can tolerate it. Now, some pets, if they have like chronic GI issues, they're prone to diarrhea or they're older and they don't have as much digestive enzymes because that can reduce over time or something's off, they may not be able to process a raw food diet. But if you can get to some of these lower processed foods, that will be 100% better for your pets. And there's a lot of research out there now that's actually showing us um, things like glyphosate and Roundup. So chemicals that we're all exposed to in our environment that are in our food, unfortunately, pets that have, that are on these raw food diets have significantly lower levels of glyphosate in their urine compared to pets that are being fed kibble diets. There's actually like a 50 time increase of glyphosate in dogs urine compared to humans that are being fed kibble.
0: It's insane.
1: So this is why it's so important to become like aware of it and empower yourself with information. And then make those changes because it's the long-term effects that we're after. We want our pets to live to be 20, 30 years old. And that can happen if we start becoming aware of where are toxins coming in, where are chemicals coming in, how do we optimize these systems in our overall pet's health?
0: So interesting. I talk about glyphosate quite often on my social media here on the podcast, and I hadn't thought about glyphosate in our pets. It's really common, unfortunately. It's,
1: It's not good.
0: Yeah. Especially if we're using the roundup in our yards and then they're out licking things or, you know, chewing on things, digging. Oh my Mm -hmm. goodness. I need to think about that more. Okay. (laughs) So I'm really curious then, should we be feeding our pets what we eat?
1: Yeah, this is so people listening are probably like, oh my gosh, let's just feed them, you know, like the meat and vegetables. So a lot of people will end up doing things like turkey and then adding in broccoli and carrots. The problem is, is that those aren't balanced over the long term. Every meal doesn't have to be balanced. It's the same for us, right? We're not like sitting there and analyzing each meal for its nutrient content and being like, oh my gosh, my lunch today was not balanced. What we're going for is variety, right? Over time, how many different types of foods, vegetables, fruits, different types of meats. If you eat meat, things that you can add in to get those different vitamins, minerals, those phytonutrients, antioxidants, the same applies for our pets. The difference though, is that our dogs and our cats have higher calcium requirements. So if we were to just put down like a meat and some veggies, there's not enough calcium whatsoever in that. So that's why we either have to add in raw meaty bones or add in calcium sources. So things like a lot of people use ground up eggshell, but there's there's a lot of great resources to learn how to balance those diets. We have some resources on our website and our blogs at thenaturalpetdoctor.com. But the, that's a huge issue. The other issues come into things like, what's are we adding in a source of iodine? Are we adding in a source of vitamin D? Are we adding in manganese tends to be really low. And there's natural foods that we can use, things like tripe, or we can use the synthetic ingredients. But I always hesitate for people to just jump straight into it without researching and getting more information. So a great way to start taking that next step, especially if people are feeding a kibble diet. So for cats, get them over to a canned food immediately as like sometimes you have to do a slow transition because you can get kibble addicted cats, which makes it really hard but get your cats over to a canned food. For your dogs, if you're feeding a kibble, this is where you can use whole food toppers. So that way you're starting to add in some of those vegetables, some real meat. You can add in things like eggs. You can add in canned sardines. Those are a great whole food source for additional omega-3s to help reduce inflammation. So that way you wanna make sure you're not adding in over 15% because you don't wanna unbalance that diet. So this is a great time to start transitioning While you're learning about how to balance diets, if you do want to go that route, or you can use some of these nice companies that are out there now, like Dr. Harvey's, where you can cook the meat and add in the vegetables, Honest Kitchen, um, you can add in, if you decide to go with companies that are, they have the pre-made already balanced foods, there's Raised Right, there's Open Farm That you can use pre made raw foods that have all the nutrients already added in. Um, So, we use Darwin's, I use small batch. There's so many different companies out there to make it easy. So, you don't have to stress, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to cause harm long term. You can start with some of these pre made companies and get your feet wet, do the research, and then dive into it if you decide to go down like the homemade option. Homemade will be cheaper, especially with where we're currently at at the time of the recording, right? Where prices are increasing. And so you just have to make sure, especially with cats, if you go that route, we need to make sure we're getting those vitamins and the minerals and nutrients in at the right ratios and balance over the long term.
0: Okay. So when you say just mix in a topper on your kibble for the dogs, are you mm-hmm. meaning just mix in some human food with yeah, the kibble? Yeah, so this is
1: yeah, so like hopefully people are eating vegetables themselves. <laughs> I always say like please if you're not this is right. this is your time to start. Today is day 1, right? And so you can lightly steam your vegetables. I say lightly steam or process it in a food blender because remember our dogs don't have the same digestive enzymes that we have to break down the plant wall, that cellulose. So that'll break it up a little bit for them to make it more easily digestible. I mean, there's no point in giving organic blueberries and having them poop out an organic blueberry, right? And that happens a lot of times. So this is where uh, using lightly steamed kale, spinach, broccoli, uh, carrots, Brussels sprouts. I use a lot of broccoli sprouts, So doing your own sprouts are a great source of sulfur and help detox pathways and you can make them at home. I I love doing that. And you can even add that. You can finally chop up a pinch and add it to your cat's food, too. And a lot of cats will actually eat that. But this is where, yeah, taking your own vegetables. And if you have a little bit leftover like steak or something that doesn't like not slathered in sauce or things like that, that's important. And you can add that to the food bowl. Things that you want to avoid, human foods that are toxic to pets. I was
0: just so going to what, ask that. Yeah, so I, I figured you. that like
1: was going to be next, right? Because this is important. So most foods are okay for our pets. So, you know, things like chocolate, of course, don't give that to your animals. Your onions are toxic to your pets. Avocado is fine, but obviously the pit can cause an obstruction. So you wouldn't want to feed that. So anything with a pit, make sure they don't eat the pit. So if you want to give a little bit of like a peach or something like that, make sure you're not giving the whole peach, of course. So of course, that's a little bit of common sense, but it's easy to kind of forget about it or they snatch something. Uh, So you have chocolate, onions. Um, You also want to avoid macadamia nuts. Um, They can be toxic to pets. Garlic is actually okay in small amounts, and it can actually help with natural insect repelling abilities. So I typically say one clove. So when you think about a bunch of garlic, one little clove per 20 pounds a day is a nice safe dosage that you can use. Oh, okay. Um, so, so that's something that it is in that onion, the Allium family, right? The onion family, but onions are toxic. Garlic is not in safe dosages. Um, so, grapes are also something you want to avoid raisins you want to avoid um but those are the main ones so all your other vegetables and your fruits are typically okay for them and so it gives you a lot of room to work with especially if you are eating a lot of variety in your diet
0: that's so good to know so i'm just going to avoid chocolate grapes and onions for the most part
1: yeah raisins um But yeah, those are your main ones. So that's good to
0: know because my 18 year old gets after me quite often for feeding my dog human food and always is trying to tell
1: me that something is wrong with the food that I'm feeding him. So no, it's good for him. Yep, it's definitely good for them because you're when you think about the reason why so I mentioned it closer to the beginning, like they don't actually need vegetables. The reason why we feed those is because it's actually a prebiotic. It's a food source for the good bacteria in the gut. And when we feed that for one, they have lots of antioxidants like blueberries are an amazing source of an antioxidant to help reduce the risk of cancer. And so we're using those to not like, not just because your pet needs it, we're feeding the microbiome, which is gonna support the immune health and naturally feed the cells and support mitochondria and help with all those areas of health, which are so important. And so that's why we use a little bit of vegetable matter and some fruits.
0: Just like the human gut. That's exactly why we need it. It's so interesting that they're so similar. Yeah. Um, You mentioned this just a second ago about homemade food for the pets. So I do want to ask you this because on social media, there are a lot of recipes out there where they mix some rice with some meat, with some veggies, with, you know, different things. So is it okay to do these homemade meals or you don't really like them?
1: It depends on who you're getting it from. Most recipes out there online are severely unbalanced. So if you're not seeing them using a source of calcium, so I'm not talking about like broccoli, right? Like for us, like it's higher calcium. So our pets need a lot higher. So if you're not seeing like a bone, like a raw meaty bone that's added in there for like raw diets, or if you're not seeing like eggshell in there, or you're not seeing like calcium carbonate, that is a huge red flag. If you're not seeing kelp in the ingredient list, that's a great source of iodine. If you're not seeing zinc, so this can come from like mussels, clams, or you're seeing like a synthetic dosage, right? You can use like your zinc chelates, right? If you're not seeing some of these things on those ingredient lists and all you're seeing is rice, vegetables, and meat, that diet is not balanced. It's okay to use like every now and then, because like I said, every diet, every meal doesn't have to be balanced. But if you're using that consistently, we do hair tissue mineral analysis tests for pets, where we can actually see kind of where are things a little bit off vitamin mineral wise. And then we also look at heavy metals. That's a huge, that's a nice thing with those tests. We can see the toxic burden, but nine times out of 10, most pets that are on a homemade diet, their calcium and magnesium levels are really, really low. And they're in a level of inflammation. And so that is a huge commonly missed source with home cooked diets. There are brands out there where you can add vitamins and minerals in. But if you see a bite, so what a lot of people do, they'll be like, oh, well, I'll buy a vitamin mineral mm-hmm. off of like Amazon, right? Yeah. And if you can add that vitamin min- mineral onto a kibble diet and it says that, just you know, use it here to add in additional nutrients that will not have enough vitamins and minerals to balance your homemade diet. Because you think about your kibbles already adding all these vitamins and minerals in to make it technically balanced. So if we're adding something on top of it, so low in concentration that it's not going to cause harm because there's a minimum level that these food companies are using. So if you thought, think about like, okay, we we don't have a lot of those nutrients in this home cooked diet and we're just adding this tiny little vitamin mineral mix in, and it's not meant for, to balance a homemade diet over time, we're going to see probably symptoms arise that are probably actually related to a nutritional deficiency.
0: Okay. So maybe I should stop making my homemade dog food. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, it's so good what you can know.
1: do, like I said, it takes a long time to create harm typically. So, and what happens too, is you usually see like a change, a positive change, especially if you go from a kibble to fresh fruit, like a fresh food diet. And so people are like, oh, well, it's helping them. And of course it is. Like we removed a lot of those chemicals. They're getting like the more bioavailable nutrients. And so they feel better. But this is where you can look at like ARG's Vitamins is a great company and they have a canine essentials formula. They have a feline essentials formula. They have a canine mineral formula and a feline mineral formula. So by combining those two together, you can actually balance your homemade diets. So there's a lot of great things out there that you can add in to balance what you're currently doing.
0: Okay. So I see a lot of ads for multivitamins for pets. But for humans, a lot of those multivitamins are just a waste of money, like full of synthetics, full of fillers, all sorts of things. So now do we have that same issue with pets? I need to be looking for a good multivitamin. Yeah,
1: yeah so some of the brands that I use, if we're doing that, obviously, if we can get most of our nutrients from the food, that's ideal, right? Um, just like it is in people, you're going to better absorb whole food nutrition versus a synthetic anytime, right? So there are companies that will use like whole foods, like spirulina and kelp for a lot of their vitamin and minerals to balance that. So Ivy blend is a good one. Arx vitamins is a good one, but you're still going to see some synthetics. So this is like a stepping stone for people while they learn how to use all these different types of whole food sources for the vitamins and minerals. And then maybe you only have to add in like some zinc or something like that. If you're, if you're feeling like the, the recipe is a little bit low. One of the great websites that's free for people, and I actually have a YouTube video that's a tutorial on how to use this website is balanceit.com. So you can go to Dr. Katie Woodley, the natural pet doctor YouTube channel, and you'll see the balance it tutorial. And I take you through how to use it, where you can actually choose different foods that you want. And it's formulated by veterinary nutritionists. And so you can actually create your own balanced recipes. Now, here's the thing. I go through this too in the tutorial is they have a synthetic vitamin supplement that they have, right? So they sell that to balance the diet, but you can actually click on the recipe to see what would be low and what you would need to add if you didn't use their balance supplement, So that's in that tutorial. So I think you'd find that really helpful. And other pet parents would find that really helpful to kind of go through. And then you get an idea too. You could put in what you're currently feeding, what you're making, and you could see like, where are the deficiencies? And you go, oh my goodness, like there's so many things that are off, but here's where I can add in and you can play around with it. You can add in different like liver and other like organ meats, which are, you know, nature's multivitamin. Um, so it's a great It's a great little tool that's free that anyone can access and play around with.
0: Oh, that's really good to know. I'm going to check that out. Okay. So if someone just goes raw food and some of these companies that just like will mail you the raw food,
1: do we not have to worry about making it balanced? They've done it for us. Depends on the company. So this is where you want to see that it's complete and balanced according to AFCO. So that will be on the label. okay. And There's also, because companies can change as people start going into looking at like researching raw food diets, you'll see things like 80, 10, 10 ratios. So 80, 10, 10 blends. What that means is 80% protein, 10% bone, 10% organ meat. That alone is not a complete and balanced diet over time. It's better than nothing, but it's still typically going to be low in things like manganese. A lot of times it's low in zinc. Um, And so this low in iodine, um, unless you're specifically adding kelp, but a lot of times they're not. And so this is where seeing it on the, like on the label itself, you should see that it is a complete and balanced and then see according to AFCO. And so a couple pre-made great raw food companies that I currently use for my cats, I've used for my dog, used for my patients and recommend all the time are going to be Darwin's is a great complete balance. There's, and they have some like prescription diets too, that are raw. So I have some cat patients that have kidney disease. And if you have a cat with kidney disease, you go to the vet and they're like low protein diet, prescription food for the rest of their life. And it's like creating all sorts of health issues. I, I'm not a big fan of those prescription diets especially with kidney disease and cats. So it's nice to be able to use a company that's formulating these kidney disease diets that are actually a raw food. So we're maintaining an appropriate protein level. So they're not going, there's not eating their muscle mass, right. And losing all this muscle weight, it has higher B vitamins higher omega-3s. So Darwin's is a great option to try. And they also have a starter pack, which is great too. So you can start with a little bit, see how your pet does with it. And then you can always order more. Viva Raw Pets is another great option. And they have now complete blends. And then they also have 80-10-10. So you'll see on their website, it says like complete. But one of the great resources that pet parents can use is you can actually go to Dr. Susan Thixton's. So truthaboutpetfood.com and every single year she comes out with her top 10 pet foods based Mm. on transparency, quality of ingredients. And I think it's like $10. So she's, she's a huge advocate for getting awareness around the pet food industry. She's an amazing woman on a crazy mission. And so I highly recommend people get, I get it every single year just to see how the list is changing, how it's evolving And so you can go there and and get that list. And then you have a better idea of like, okay, these companies are being honest, they're transparent, the quality of the ingredients are good. um, And you can feel safer and more reassured with the food you're feeding your pets.
0: Oh, that's really good to know. Thank you for sharing that resource. Um, You touched upon bones. Can I ask you really quick about bones? Because they're the same as food. You go to the aisle of bones and you've got every choice imaginable. So is there a certain type of bone that is best?
1: Are you referring to bones in the pet food store, not in the refrigerator section, I'm guessing, right? Yes. Yes. Do not touch those. Okay. (laughs) So so those, the reason why they're heavily processed and also they splinter. So you never want to feed cooked bones to pets because this is what goes wrong. We see splintering. We can see obstructions. They don't break it down. And the problem with those bones in the the pet food store that are not like your raw meaty bones in the freezer aisle is that they're more likely to cause like we call them slab fractures on the teeth where they're chewing on the bone and it shears off the enamel. And now you have to have that a dental and have that big chewing tooth extracted. Um, They also have a lot of chemicals that are applied to them as preservatives. And a lot of them are also, uh, more weight bearing bones and specifically depending on the size of your dog and their chewing ability, you can create a lot of problems with those. So I never recommend those bones. If you want to introduce bones for your pets, um, it depends. So if you have (laughs) a categorize them as if you have a gulper, so what those are going to be, a lot of times these are going to be like your pit bulls, like Um, where they're just like chomping, 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 or the dogs that just want to get through something really fast. And they'll like, you'll turn around and the thing is gone, right? They're gulpers. They gulped it down really fast. So this is where you want to get the bigger bones that are like bigger than the size of their head. They're the big knuckle bones, keeping in mind, frozen, meaty, raw, not cooked, because then they sit there and they chew and they gnaw and they're not going to take like a little tiny bone and swallow it whole and cause a problem. If you have like a little Chihuahua or a smaller dog, their mouth's not as big. This is where you can use those smaller. So this would be like rib bones are a great option. They're super like flexible. They're easy to chew on. They're going to support dental health. Um, we have an entire blog post on like how to choose bones based on your pet. Um, so that's another resource I can always share with you too um, to share with your uh, your listeners. Um, but yeah, I highly recommend just avoid no raw hides. Um, raw hides are full of formaldehyde. The way that they're processed, um, no bones that are not in the freezer, and then choosing bones that are appropriate based on like your dog, their chewing ability, um, and kind of what they do with it. That's really interesting because vets really push bones, like give them. Well, it depends. Some some are really really against it. Um, it it's because it's not raw meaty bones. It's not the appropriate bone. It's just like food. Like, right. If we're not doing things right and we're causing harm, that's what vets see. Vets see like the teeth fractures. They see the obstructions. They see, you know, the bone issues because the diet wasn't balanced appropriately. And so then they get scared about it and they just tell everyone no, because they just don't know what to recommend because we're not taught it you have to like go deeper into nutrition and learn like, okay, well, why is this okay? And look at the physiology of the pets and dive a a bit deeper into it. Um, But yeah, there's, there's a lot of like lack of knowledge out there. And I, I was there, like, that's where I was. And it's through learning about it and just becoming more aware. It's just like a human health journey. Right. Right. As you learn about things, you can do better and, then you learn more and you keep learning.
0: We empower ourselves with the education. So, okay. So on social media though, I've seen rawhide bones advertised quite often as like the better choice that this is a better thing for our dog, but that's so interesting what you said that it's could have uh, formaldehyde.
1: Yeah. So bully sticks will be a one that can be a little bit easier for them. So (laughs) bully sticks, um, depending on if, where are they sourcing it, how are they processing it? So transparency at the company is huge, but bully sticks are going to be a a lot better than a raw hide. You also see things like no hide, raw hide is how they'll be advertised. So they're using different ingredients. So it's not actually like the hide of the cow that is used for like leather. This is the same industry and it's being, the same chemicals are literally being used, whether it's being processed for shoes or leather or for your dog to chew on as a rawhide. Like it is the byproduct of what's not able to be used in that industry. That's why it's so toxic.
0: Wow. Okay. That's good to know. So I want to move on to a different topic. Well, it still has to do with food, but we've talked about gut health a little bit and how it's so important for the Animals, just like it is for humans. But how does someone know a pet owner? How do they know if their pet has symptoms of a poor gut health? Are there Mm -hmm. certain things they can look for?
1: Yeah, this is a great question. And it alludes back to what I was talking about at the beginning, where a lot of times these pets are going to have symptoms that don't even seem related to gut health. Obviously, if you have a pet that is prone to diarrhea, softer stool, they're gassy, you have a cat that vomits like a vomiting cat is not normal. So if they're vomiting like once a week or every other week, that is not normal. They shouldn't be vomiting. There's, there's something going on that's causing that. So especially GI symptoms, of course, are gonna be related to a gut health problem. And when we talk about gut, we're not just referring to intestines where the gut starts in the mouth, right? And it goes all the way to the rectal area. So that there's a lot that can go wrong there, right? And so any GI symptoms, And then if you have a pet that has behavior issues, if they have noise phobias, if they are really sensitive, if they have some anxiety, a lot of times that comes back down to gut health because we have a gut brain connection. So through the vagus nerve, Uh, There's a direct connection from the brain to the gut. And if there is a gut health issue and there's that microbiome, that ecosystem's off and there's more inflammation that's being created through leaky gut. So that gut lining is getting leaky, spreading apart, allowing things, cells, inflammation, bacteria, toxins to pass through into the bloodstream. That's going to potentially trigger and cause inflammation in the brain, which shows up as anxiety and behavior problems. This is also where we can see pets that have allergies. So itchy skin, chewing on the paws, ear infections, anal gland issues. These are all directly connected to gut health. So if your pet's displaying these symptoms, Yes, we need to keep them comfortable. So you can either use drugs. There's lots of natural remedies you can use instead though. And, but we need to start looking at, okay, how do we identify if there's a gut health problem? There's an amazing test out there called animal biome that will actually allow you, you can, anyone can order it in the States. It can be a little bit harder outside the country, um, but you can always call them and ask. I've had international clients that will be able to like, have done this test. So always call animal biome and ask them if you're outside the country and you just send in a stool sample and they'll actually look at the diversity of the microbiome. So how many different strains of bacteria, uh, what are the levels of those and give you a degree of the dysbiosis that's present in your gut and your pet's gut health. They also have the ability to send you fecal transplant capsules. So they've taken healthy stool, put it in a capsule. So you're not like touching, handling stool. And you can give that as a supplement to reestablish a healthy microbiome. So that's, you can do that all without going to your veterinarian. Um, So it's a great resource that pet parents now have to help identify and reestablish a healthy microbiome.
0: Oh, that is so interesting. It's so fascinating listening to you because- I talk about leaky gut all the time, you know, on my platform. And here we are talking about leaky gut with animals. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Now, not only do I have to worry about my kids and their gut, I've got to worry about my dog and his gut.
1: (laughs) I wouldn't worry. Don't worry, because it creates leaky gut, right? (laughs) Yeah, true.
0: I know. I'm learning that stress causes that as well. Which do our
1: pets deal with stress also? So this is huge. So I always talk, so I talk a lot about the five pillars of health because it's a great way to think about like, what are different factors that are affecting your pet? So we have physical health, right? Like movement, exercise, how are we enriching the environment for them? Play, especially cats too. It's easily missed. We think cats just sleep all day and they, they shouldn't be, they, they need to engage in play. Then we have gut health and nutrition. So people always focus on you know nutrition side, but we also have immune health. Like what are, we, what are the things we're doing at the vet clinic that could possibly be overstimulating the immune system? Are we vaccinating every year? Are we giving flea and tick? Are we giving heartworm year round and we actually don't need to? Are there other chemicals that we're adding in that are causing an immune imbalance? And then we have emotional health. And this is where the biggest part of this is us. So many people are stressed, especially right now. And what do we do with the stress? So many people go, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'll deal with it later. But what happens is, is we're not processing those emotions. We're not actually dealing with that stress. And your pet is sitting here looking at you, watching your every movement, and they're absorbing your stress for you. I would say, over 75% of my clients have the same health condition as their pet. Oh, and that's it comes interesting. Down to the emotional health issue. So I'm like, we're talking about, you know, IBD and their pet. And they're like, yeah, they flared up when I had a flare up. I was like, oh, you have IBD too. And she, yep. And I'm like, okay, we need to we need to fix both of you and the emotional health, like, because our pets absorb our emotions. They absorb our energy. And so we have to become more cognizant of how we're processing things and how we're managing our stress. We live in a stressful world, but there's so many amazing tools and tactics that we can start implementing to actually feel again and process those emotions. It's not easy. It's not fun. I'm not saying it's fun, but we have to do it. If you don't want to do it for yourself, do it for your pets, because it is creating a lot of health issues and it's making it so much harder to heal pets. The last three years have I've noticed, and I've talked to colleagues too, where I'm like, why isn't this working or what's going on? Are you seeing this? And they're like, yep, the stress, the energy of this world, things are shifting. The frequencies are off. Call it woo woo, whatever you want to call it. There is definitely a big factor with emotional health. And then that last pillar is environmental health, right? All the toxins, you know, we touched a little bit on glyphosate and, you know, how are we supporting these detox pathways, heavy metals, the foods that we're feeding and the chemicals. So when we look at all those five pillars, we get a better idea of where we can tweak and adjust and improve through small, simple steps each day to better improve our pet's health.
0: That is really interesting. And most Americans are stressed right now. So I can really imagine these poor pets are just feeling the stress. My poor dog. (laughs) I
1: (laughs) I need to not be so stressed around my dog. So oh, here's the thing. Don't stress about being stressed though. Right. Like that's right. the thing. Like, cause once we become aware, you're like, Oh my God, I'm being stressed. And then you get more stressed. And there's, there's a lot of like, just things like implementing journaling, the gratitude, breathing, you know, releasing um, there's great meditations you can do that are super simple. You don't have to like a lot of people, are, I can't meditate. My mind's too crazy. And it's literally just like release meditations. Um, And your mind can be crazy and you're just saying like release. So there's a lot of great tools out there to help. And even just sitting and being quiet and breathing with your pets and putting the phone away, turning off the news. Like I don't watch the news. Those are all great ways to drown out the craziness that's going on that allows you to bring inner peace, which will also help your pet heal. I love that. And
0: I tell people all the time because people will tell me I can't reduce my stress. Like I've just got too much going on. And I say, you don't need to reduce it. You need to manage it. And so managing it is by learning how to breathe or meditate or just sit or go on a walk or whatever it is that you need to do to manage that stress. So I love that it applies to the pet's health as well. So I want to talk to you about maybe environmental toxins, but first I want to ask you about essential oils because every time I talk about my dog or what I'm giving my dog on social media, there's always someone asking, well, is this essential oil safe? Wait, I thought I couldn't be diffusing this. So let's just figure this all out. So
1: are (laughs) essential oils safe for pets? So it depends on what essential oil you're using, what brand you're using and the dosage. This is alongside like raw feeding and nutrition. These are the two most controversial subjects in pet health. And with essential oils, more is not better. And this is where also too, essential oils are heavily adulterated industry. There's a lot of fake products out there. There's a lot of synthetics. And so essentially what we're doing with those is that we're introducing a chemical now. And especially with cats, they process and detox differently than dogs. That makes them more sensitive. So if we're using too much, we're using a synthetic essential oil, so not using a good company, that's where we run into problems. And so what's happened is, is things have been done wrong. And then that message has carried on versus how to properly use essential oils and how to assess the safety of them so yes 100 i use essential oils all the time got three cats i've had cats in the past i've used essential oils now for over probably seven eight years and i've never had a toxicity issue i've used essential oils topically on my cats because i know what i'm doing so i would say for the beginner. The things that you need to look at is you need to assess the company. So are they testing their product? Do they have a therapeutic grade? Are they actually showing you what's in the, the end result of that product? And are they being transparent? Is it organic? Where are they sourcing it? These are all factors that are going to play a part in how how pure those essential oils are. And so I rotate through like different companies, but a really good one that is very safe, that any person can order through them and I would have no issues or concerns with them causing a problem is Animalio. So Animal E-O, so for like essential oils. And that's actually a company that's made for pets by a veterinarian that only does uh, essential oils. So Dr. Melissa Shelton, that company is so, she, she tested her products in her aviary, on birds, on fish. Amphibians, like these are the most sensitive animals to essential oils. And she has a lot of great resources. She has a free Facebook group that you can ask questions. You can get guidance. She has clear directions on how to use them and highly, highly recommend that brand. So there are other ones that I use that are used for humans, but for anyone that's hesitant to use them, just start there and just follow the directions. And I guarantee you, if you follow the directions and use it the way it's supposed to, and you're using a good quality brand, there are so many things that you can do to help heal your pets or support them emotionally and physically.
0: Okay. So, are there certain ones that should not be used? Is there like a list of ones that are a no no?
1: Yeah. So, you want to be careful with like tea tree. If someone, if you're working with an aroma, an animal aromatherapist, someone that knows how to use these, you can use some of these. Like I've used Tea Tree, but for the the average pet parent, right, the normal pet parent who's just getting started, Tea Tree is one you don't want to be using topically. You don't want to be using your hot essential oils topically. So things like your oregano, you need to be careful with thyme. Um, so a great way to introduce essential oils though is by a water diffuser and diffusing it in an open room. So if you're using blends like I use, and this is not a plug for Young Living. I just, it was one of the first companies I found. And there's like doTERRA, Young Living, um, Rocky Mountain Oils. If you're using a product that has something like tea tree or one of these hot oils in it, and you're diffusing it in a room, um, allow that pet to come and go and watch them for the first five minutes. And most of the time, I, I've never had an issue with my own pets or patients Um, It's when you start using them topically, or if you're giving them orally, that's when I say work with someone that knows how to help you and guide you with using those essential oils.
0: Okay. So if I'm just as a homeowner diffusing some citrus smells or something to make the home smell nice, I don't need to worry about it. If I'm
1: using a good quality essential oil. Exactly. That is correct. A hundred percent. One of the, there's a, a kitty boost blend that is uh, from Animalia, and it has citrus oils in it and it's for cats. So it's made in a way that's very safe for them. I would never say like, go and take lemon and put it on your cat or have them ingest it. That's where we get problems, especially like if you don't know what you're doing, but by diffusing it, you're allowing them to come and go. And also to, this is also working off of the principle of self-selection where you're not forcing it onto them. That's a very, very, very powerful concept in animal medicine, where you're allowing them to choose what their body needs. So you can essentially like geranium essential oil is a really neat one that can help for a lot of like GI issues, allergy issues. And if you're using a good quality brand, you can literally take like a little ceramic dish. You can put a drop of geranium essential oil in there with some water. And just put it on the ground and see what your cats and your pets do. If they need it, they will actually self-select it. And it may be just sitting next to it. That's self-selection. And they're actually inhaling it. Because remember, essential oils are very strong. They can work very, very well with a very low dose. And so even by sitting near it, they're choosing that their body needs it. They're inhaling it. They're absorbing it into their body. Some animals, including cats, will actually lick it and ingest it. So it depends, and this is why it's really neat to be able to put different options down and see how your your pets interact with them. I mean, we could do an entire podcast on self-selection and herbs and essential oils for pets and how to use them for different different diseases and conditions.
0: That actually would be really interesting because I didn't really know that they did self-selection. I mean, I did, but to know the exact details of different herbs and essential oils would be really fascinating. So essential oils, if I choose them, uh, a good sourced one, I can diffuse them in the home. But I use essential oils quite often for healing purposes with my kids. Do the oils have the same properties of healing for humans as they do for
1: pets? A hundred percent. So, and here's the thing too. It's really neat when you dive deep into how essential oils work too, you have different like frequencies, right? That these oils are vibrating at, and you can actually connect them to different frequencies of like your pets and where they're, where they're at health-wise to like raise the frequency to help them heal. That's the neat thing about energy medicine. Um, But there's a couple that I, I love having on hand. So single, single essential oils that can be used for quite a few issues, health issues, um, things that arise. So frankincense is a great one to have on hand. It's really grounding, it helps emotionally, it it has anti-cancer properties. Um, So it's really safe also for dogs and cats. Another one that I tend to have on hand too is Copaiba. I probably say it wrong, it's so C-O-P-A-I-B-A. So Copaiba, and that one is really great at reducing inflammation. And so if your pet, like like your dog goes for a run and strains a knee or something, this is where you can actually apply this topically. They can actually ingest it also. And it's a really great one to combine with frankincense and helichrysum and other essential oils to reduce the need for some drug like a non-steroidal pain medication because these essential oils have very similar properties but they're also protecting the body and you're gonna have less side effects because of the synergistic properties of the plants. So frankincense, copaiba, I would also say lavender Now here's the thing with lavender, most synthetic adulterated essential oil on the market. So this is where using the right brands, you're not just going into your supermarket and you're like, essential oils, Dr. Katie said to do that. And you're like, grab it, don't do that. (laughs) Like That's gonna be bad. So this is where lavender can be used. I use it for skin infections. It has antibacterial properties. It's of course used for anxiety, for calming. Um, It has grounding properties. Um, When we use it with copaiba or frankincense, they actually have synergistic properties to increase the strength and efficacy of those essential oils working too. So those are just a couple to get started that can do quite a few different things. And that's the power of using plant medicine, right? There's synergistic, there's different properties. We're not just using it for one thing like a drug and that's why they work so much better than conventional medicine.
0: So I have lavender and frankincense at my house that we use quite often with the kids. And so I love that I now can think about using them for the dog as well. I hadn't even really thought of that. So I have so many more questions that I could keep asking you about pets and their health and everything,
1: but due to time,
0: tell my listeners where they could find you and all of your wonderful resources.
1: Yeah, so people can find more information at thenaturalpetdoctor.com. You can also go to our YouTube channel Uh, We release tons of free content there. So Dr. Katie Woodley, the natural pet doctor. And then we're also very active on Facebook and Instagram. So that's the natural pet doctor. We do free live talks, coffee talk with the doc every Friday morning. Um, So you can tune in, ask questions, get more help. And then we have a lot of programs if you want to dive deeper into learning about the five pillars and getting your pets onto the right path for overall health.
0: I love that you have all of these resources. I'm going to check them out and become more educated into my pet's life. Are there any last tips that you want to give the listeners about being a pet owner?
1: So, I always find, especially at the start of this journey, it can feel really overwhelming. And so, I always love saying, like, start with one small thing. What's the one small thing that you can do to take that? first step forward because the little small things add up to a big change overall to your pet's health. So what's the easiest thing to start implementing that doesn't add more stress. Maybe that is adding in some fresh food. Maybe that's reading the chemical labels on your cleaning products and starting to replace them with cleaner products. Maybe it's being more aware of your stress levels and adding in like some like a gratitude, you know, session in the morning or at night. Um, What is one small thing that can make a difference? Because a lot of times it's not only affecting your pet's health, but it's also going to change your overall health too.
0: I love that. I always tell people just one little change at a time. So I love that you're saying that as well. So I always end my episodes by asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient in life. What would you say it
1: is? I have to say it's actually being present. So it doesn't seem like it's anything related to pet health. But so many of us are disconnected, running around, racing around, being stressed. And so being present with what's going on, taking a moment to breathe, sitting with your pet, like we, we don't know how much time we have left. And so see the beauty around you, like the sun, get outside, just be grateful. And it all comes down to just being more present with, with ourselves
0: I love that. I really think being more present also would lower our stress because like <laughs> you said, you would see the gratitude, you would take those deep breaths, you you know, see the little things around us. So I absolutely love that. Thank you so much for being here on the show today. I learned a lot. I am amazed at how much pet health is like human health. I now feel empowered to be a better pet owner. So thank you so much and I know my listeners have learned a ton. So thank you for taking the time. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.